Inside ADHD is ADHD Family's official podcast that provides parents with current research about ADHD and strategies for helping their children. ADHDfamilies.ca is a resource website for parents of children who have ADHD. All of the resources have been evaluated by experts in the field of ADHD, so parents can feel confident that they are receiving trustworthy information. For more information, visit ADHDfamilies.ca, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or your favorite podcast player. If you have a specific ADHD topic that you would like to hear about on our podcast, please send your suggestions to ADHDfamilies at canlearnsociety.ca. everybody, my name is Krista Forand. I'm a registered psychologist at the CanLearn Society in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and I'm also a ADHDfamilies.ca team member. On today's podcast, we're going to be talking about what an IPP is or an IEP. And uh, we'll talk about that in a moment, but I just wanted to give a couple announcements, um, some exciting things coming up. As many of you know that October is ADHD Awareness Month. And so uh, what you can actually do now is contact us. We now have an email address. So um, there's a few reasons why we're, uh, we've got an email address. And one of them is just in general, if you have any topics, suggestions, or uh, specific topics you'd like to hear about, on the podcast, you can send those topics to our new email address, which is ADHDfamilies at canlearnsociety.ca. You can find that web, uh, that web uh, email address sorry, on our website as well. Uh, like I mentioned before, October is ADHD Awareness Month, and it's a time of the year where many organizations and agencies work together to increase awareness about ADHD and dispel some of the myths about ADHD that are still common in our society today. So during the month of October, we would like to get our listeners involved to contribute to our podcasts. So specifically, we wanted listeners to consider and answer three questions. And they are, how do you bring awareness to ADHD? What myth or myths about ADHD have been busted for you? How has that changed your approach to yourself or your child and to life in general? And how do you advocate for yourself or your child when it comes to ADHD? So you can email your answers to ADHDfamilies at canlearnsociety.ca, uh, but we also have a really quick and easy survey that you can fill out that has each of those questions. If you go to our homepage on the ADHDfamilies.ca website, uh, on the right-hand side there, you should be able to find that survey and you can fill it out really quickly. And we'd really like to be able to share your answers in uh, throughout the month of October and so what we'll do is we'll share those answers anonymously 
on each of our podcasts for October and we're going to be doing something very special through that month. We're going to release um, one new episode every Monday that tackles a certain myth related to ADHD. So we're really excited about that. We've got lots of great information coming up in those episodes and be sure to subscribe in iTunes so that you don't forget every Monday in October you're going to get a new episode. Um, so again the email address there if you wanted to send us some topic suggestions or you wanted to participate in the uh, answering the questions for ADHD Awareness Month you can send that to ADHDfamilies at canlearnsociety.ca. So I believe in one of our previous um, episodes, we I mentioned something called an IPP, an Individual Program Plan. Um, in some places around the world they're called Individual Education Plans. Um, and I said I would talk about it in a future episode. Well, today is that episode. So what is an IPP or an IEP? Like I said, it basically it stands for Individual Program Plan, or it might be referred to as an Individual Education Plan. Um, one of the school boards that's in my area also uses the term learner support plans. So there, there's quite a few acronyms out there. But the important thing to remember is that they all sort of stand for the same thing. And I'll just, for the most part, refer to it as an IPP throughout this episode because that's sort of the language that's used um, in my area of the world. So an IPP is a document that includes the student's strengths and their challenges related to the diagnoses that they have. Now, obviously this is a podcast about ADHD, but it should be understood that um, the diagnoses could refer to several types of diagnoses like medical. So if a child has diabetes, they would likely have an IPP that would address their needs for their diabetes. It could also address things like mental health. So if there was diagnoses of anxiety or depression or other uh, mental health disorders, and then, of course, why we're interested in IPPs is to talk specifically around things like um, attention and learning difficulties and specifically ADHD diagnoses. So you can see how the IPP is actually used for quite a range of things. Um, the IPP itself typically includes what programs, services, or specific classroom strategies will be provided to the student specific goals for the student, and how progress moving towards each of those goals will be measured. Now the IPP also will likely include information about accommodations and modifications, and I'm going to speak more in a minute about the difference between accommodations and modifications because I believe it's very important for parents to understand that. Um, an IPP is put into place when a student has been identified as having a particular disability, and in our case we're talking about ADHD. And the identification of this um, disability can be determined in many different ways. So um, a student may receive a diagnosis from a family physician, family doctor, or perhaps a pediatrician. They might also see a child psychiatrist. They could work with a school psychologist who's actually employed by their school board. Or they might work with a private psychologist, which is uh, the work that I do at the center that I work at. 
I would be considered in that category. Um, it's important to remember that when parents decide to see a private professional, that they ask this private professional up front if they're able to provide a detailed and specific list of recommendations based on the results and conclusions from that professional's assessment. Because then these recommendations can be used um, to help the school staff and the parents work together to create the IPP. So uh, sometimes it's not um, as helpful to just have a diagnosis uh, documented on a piece of paper. It's really crucial to say, so what? You have this diagnosis, what does it actually mean in your daily functioning, and, and particularly for students, in their ability to access the curriculum, participate in the social life of school, and demonstrate their knowledge and abilities. And that's where those recommendations come in for things like um, accommodations and modifications, which I'll talk about in a minute. So once the child has actually received the diagnosis from the professional, whether it's a physician or a psychiatrist or psychologist, the family should meet with the school staff to create uh, the specific goals for the IPP. And remember, like I said uh, last time, if a child is a teenager, consider having them involved in the IPP meeting as well because this encourages self-advocacy uh, for them when they become older and they're going to have to do this themselves in the context of, say, post-secondary education or perhaps even in the workplace. And at the meeting, you want to be sure to ask any questions you might have about the IPP and don't necessarily feel obligated to sign it right away. You might want to take it home and read it over and make sure that all areas that you're concerned about, that your child is concerned about, are targeted um, as uh, specific goals in the IPP. Because really, this document is a legal document that is supposed to ensure that the student's individual learning needs are going to be met by the education system. So it's important that both parents and school staff take IPPs seriously. And related to that, by taking them seriously, IPPs should be considered more of like a working document or a living and breathing document that is constantly under revision. Because as goals um, are achieved or as needs change for the student, then the IPP can be updated to reflect these changes. So it's, it shouldn't really be just sitting in the student's file, uh, nobody looking at it uh, frequently, that kind of thing. So they should be regularly reviewed throughout the school year, and I really do encourage parents to make sure that this is happening. So you're reviewing it, um, but you're also uh, working with the school at you know each reporting period to make sure that the IPP still makes sense for your child. Now earlier I mentioned um, two words, accommodations and modifications. So let's talk about this now. IPPs will usually list what accommodations and modifications will be provided to the student. And so it's very important to understand the difference between these two terms and what they mean for your child's education. So an accommodation refers to a change in how the student is taught 
or perhaps ask to demonstrate their knowledge or how they're evaluated or assessed in the classroom. So a couple examples are asking a student to explain their ideas verbally, so they might give a verbal presentation rather than writing it down, or perhaps rather than writing an essay. Because, and that would be a typical accommodation for someone who has a lot of difficulties with writing or written output. Another really common example of accommodations is giving extra time on a test. So often that is seen for students who might have le uh, learning disabilities, particularly if they have problems with things that are timed or if they have issues with things like processing speed. It can also be somewhat helpful for uh, students for ADHD, um, particularly if they have a lot of anxiety around um, their performance and uh, being forgetful or making careless errors, it gives them that extra time to take a breath and go over and look over their answers and make sure they didn't miss anything or uh, reread something to make sure they, they understood it, those kinds of things. So giving extra time on a test, as you can see, it doesn't change the amount of work that the person has to do and the level of, or the grade level that they're working at. They're just being given extra time to complete that work. And uh, also it's important to keep in mind that as a part of trying to make education inclusive for everyone, um, which is um, a, a very important thing that we're kind of talking about right now in education, uh, many accommodations are now being given or at least um, provided as an option to all students, uh, whether or not they have disabilities or not. And the common ones that you probably know about or you see, and you don't really think of them as accommodations anymore because everybody's getting them, is, uh, for example, the use of computers and other types of technologies. So when I work with clients, I often, if they have difficulties with writing or organizing their ideas when they're writing, I often suggest that they use a computer. And it's usually not a problem because I'll mention that to the student and particularly if they're older, say in junior or senior high, they'll say to me, oh well we already um, are doing that and most people in the class have computers. So you can see how some of those things that used to be reserved for students who, uh, who specifically had learning disabilities, ADHD, they're now being offered as a way for everyone to access the curriculum uh, more successfully. Now I'll talk about the other term that I mentioned, modifications. So when we're talking about modifications, we're actually talking about making actual changes to the curriculum of the grade level that the student is currently in. And this usually means modifying it to a lower grade level, unless we're talking about um, giving um, a student who's been identified as um, being gifted um, curriculum that's above their grade level. But right now when we're talking more around um, learning challenges, it's usually because um, they're having difficulty with curriculum, uh, the curriculum that's at their current grade level. So just a very simple example of that is a grade four student who is given grade three math material to work on. Now it's important to understand that there are certainly legitimate reasons for using both accommodations and modifications, but parents need to be aware that when curriculum is modified, 
It may have very important implications for the student's ability to graduate high school and have the appropriate amount of credits for them to graduate, and also to use those courses that they finished high school with to enter certain post-secondary programs. So curriculum modifications should really only be used when they are absolutely necessary. If a student is able to achieve and demonstrate their knowledge and ability at their grade level, but they happen to just need some accommodations to do that, then that's fine. So if they're able to do grade level work, but they just need extra time on a test so they can finish it, then there's really no need to actually modify the curriculum. You're just going to accommodate by giving them that extra time. So they shouldn't be given modifications unless they're actually unable to complete grade level curriculum. And that's basically the major difference between accommodations and modifications. So I really encourage parents to make sure that they discuss modifications and accommodations at the IPP meeting and particularly it's most important to have those discussions in the upper grades, junior high and especially senior high to ensure understanding about what modifications may mean for their child for um, graduating from high school and after graduating from high school. So I, I hope that cleared up some of those terms for you and you got some more information about what an IPP is. Um, if you'd like some more information about IPPs and also sort of the process of getting one going and what does that look like, um, the CADAC website has some information under their education tab. So if you go to www.cadac, so that's C-A-D-D-A-C dot C-A. Under their education tab, you can find an actual um, kind of a mock or an example of an uh, IPP. They call it an IEP on that website. You can also check out on their identification review tab. Um, in the Education tab for more information about the entire IEP or IPP process. Also, just to let everybody know too, CADAC is also doing some great things for ADHD Awareness Month coming up, so you can check that out. Um, they've got some information about that on their homepage. So we hope you enjoyed our episode, and we will see you in October for ADHD Awareness Month. Catch you later. For listening to Inside ADHD, the official podcast for ADHDfamilies.ca. For more information about ADHD and how to help your child, visit ADHDfamilies.ca, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or your favorite podcast player. If you have a specific ADHD topic that you would like to hear about on our podcast, please send your suggestions to ADHD families at canlearnsociety.ca